Good evening. We lost two great men this week, and I think back to when I first got to Winchester, uh, Joseph and I made one of our very first visits together was to George and Betty's house, and uh, to walk into their house and see on the wall all of those accomplishments, that was just very cool to me. Um, I was thinking, well, where am I? Uh, <laughs> whose house am I in? This guy is special, and, and that was a blessing to me. Uh, and for Betty to tell me just the other day that last Sunday, after I preached, he went home and said, that little feller did a good job this morning. And to which she replied, well, that's the first time you've heard him because you got new hearing aids. And uh, I thought that was a funny story, uh, but what an honor it is to have been told that uh, by her and to hear that, and it was a blessing to have known him. Um, in our youth group class on Sunday mornings, we have been studying the book of James. And uh, so tonight, we're going to kind of close out our study with this lesson right here. Uh, because we, had, we were just a few verses short of finishing the whole book. And so I thought, I'll use this sermon uh, to close it out. And we'll have a couple of opportunities uh, to make some comments throughout this lesson. Uh, but I want you to go ahead and turn to James chapter 5, if you would. So I want to start out by pointing out, our, our kids, uh, I've probably said this in multiple lessons throughout the series, uh, but I want to point out something that I think is very cool about the book of James. Uh, I know I just told you to go to chapter 5, but I want you to look in chapter 1, verse 1. So I want to start with a question, and you can answer, who wrote the book of James? Okay, James. Our kids always looked at me with this glare like, this is a, obviously a trick question. Uh, I don't want to answer because, and usually I would just have silence because they would, by the end of the series they started answering. But, uh, so which James wrote the book of James? Okay, um, there, there's a lot of different opinions out there as to which one it is. I tend to believe that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. But I want you to look at what he wrote verse 1 of chapter 1. I think this is very cool to me. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greeting. So first, I want you to raise your hand if you would willingly call yourself a servant of your sibling. <laughs> not very many hands went up. I would not want to do that. Um, if my sister walked in right now, I bet she would tell you that I have not served her very well through the years. Uh, maybe she would say I've gotten better as I got older. I don't know what she might say. I'm glad she's not here. Uh, <laughs> just playing. We have a great relationship. But I would not willingly call myself a servant of hers. And uh, I would step out on a limb and say that most of you would also not want to call yourself your sibling's servant. Uh, and so as I was studying this book and realizing uh, that James the brother of Jesus wrote this book and I guess I've known that for quite a while I've heard that before but when I really thought about that and looked back at verse 1 that he called himself a servant of Jesus and what a cool thing that is to stop and look at and when the book starts out like that I'm listening I want to hear what this guy's got to say because I feel like it takes a lot of humility 
for a man like James, uh, who's clearly been overlooked uh, as opposed to his brother Jesus, uh, we don't know a whole lot about James in comparison to our Savior. And so for him to step back and say, I'm a servant of my brother, uh, to me, that is a very big statement. And, and I'm listening. There's a ton of practical, practical and useful information in the book of James. Uh, it's kind of known as the practical book, that if you want to learn about action and doing something in your life, that James is the place to go. And uh, we've been looking at that in our, our series. So flip back over now to chapter 5, and verses 7 through 12 is where we're going to be. This lesson is titled, What to Do When You're in a Hurry and God is Not. That's kind of a tough situation to be in. And that's probably a situation that you feel like you're in a lot in your life. And so, look at verses 7 through 12. That's where we're going to be throughout this, this lesson. We live in a world where it is weird to not be busy. Uh, Joseph did a great job presenting a lesson last week on the burning bush. And the fact that Moses had time to hear. He had time to stop and hear what God wanted to say. He had time to go and explore. And, and this lesson kind of goes on with that thought. The fact that we live in a world where it is weird to not be busy. Time is becoming more and more valuable through the years. In fact, people are starting to charge if they're kept waiting. Okay, uh, There's one lady named Cherry Kerr. Now, you've probably never heard of this woman, but as I was getting ready for this lesson, I, I found her on the internet. And she has started making sure that when she makes a doctor's appointment, that the doctor knows that she expects not to have to wait very long. Uh, She usually tries to be scheduled first in the morning or right after lunch. She insists that if the doctor is going to be late, the staff needs to give her a call or the doctor's office will be billed per hour that she is waiting to be called on at the doctor's office. Now I know some of you are thinking, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to start doing that. Um, Kerr has been using this system for years. And apparently she first started back in 1969 when a pediatrician delayed four hours. And so Kerr refused to pay the bill by saying that she, as a freelance writer, lost more money than the cost of the appointment by sitting there for four hours. So she refused to pay the bill. Most recently, she billed her eye doctor $150 for about a 45-minute wait time. So... Uh, I don't know how that's going for her, uh, but it's a strategy, strategy she's taken for the last few years. She says, now it's funny because they always make sure they give me a, an appointment where they won't be late. And so I guess it's, it's working. I had a friend in college, his name was Michael, and Michael, he was determined to make money and as a college student. Uh, opportunities for that were few and far between. So what he decided to do was charge $5 to anyone who would let him do their laundry. Okay, now some of you are thinking, laundry? That's not, $5 is not too bad. For $5, he would wash, dry, and fold your laundry and bring it back to your room. Uh, And actually, he made quite a bit of money doing that. 
because kids just didn't want to do it, and they just didn't want to make the time to do it. Uh, Time is becoming so valuable to people. With time becoming so precious, it's not a surprise that waiting has become one of the most frustrating and hated parts of life today. We wait in a lot of different places. Think about all the places that you wait in. You wait in the bank line. You wait in the supermarket line, in the doctor's office, on the freeway. There's probably a few of you in here who get frustrated when you're waiting on the freeway or on the interstate in traffic. Uh, And if we're ever stuck waiting longer than we want to, we immediately feel like our time has been wasted. There was a man whose car was stalled uh, on the freeway. No matter what he did, he just couldn't get it to start. Now, everybody seemed to be taking it pretty well, except for one guy who was in the midst of the traffic who was just laying on his horn. So the guy got, left his car where he was trying to fix it, went to the guy's window and said, look, if you want to go up there and try, then I'll sit here and keep the horn blowing for you. <laughs> I thought that was funny. We can't stand waiting. And when we get to this section of Scripture... And if you feel like this describes you, that you hate to wait, then this section of Scripture will be good for you, as it will for me in verses 7 through 12. So let's read verses 7 through 12. And as we go through these verses, I want you to be looking for places where James mentions either patience or waiting or long-suffering, anything like that. I want you to be looking for those places. So here we go, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. All right, so out loud, uh, where did you see James mention patience, waiting, or long-suffering? Go ahead. Where did you see it in in those verses, 7 through 12? (laughs) Verse 7, it happens pretty quick, doesn't it? Uh, The second word, be patient. Uh, And then also... Uh, It talks about the farmer as being patient about waiting for the rains uh, and the fruit of the earth to rise. All right, where else besides verse (laughs) 7? Verse 8, where do you see it in verse 8? First sentence, what is it? You also be patient. So James is not being shy about this patience issue. All right, anywhere else in those verses? Okay, verse 10. Look into verse 10. Where, what do you, where do you see that idea at? 
Okay, at the end, who do they use in verse 10 to talk about patience and long-suffering? Prophets, exactly. All right, then we get into verse 11. Where do you see this idea at in verse 11? The patience of Job. Yes, the patience of Job. He had quite a bit of patience. Uh, He mentions it twice in verse 11. Uh, He starts out, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And then he talks about Job. So clearly, this is a subject that was very serious to James. Uh, In just a few verses, it's mentioned at least six times. Twice in verse 7, once in verse 8, verse 10, and verse 11 twice. So at least six times he mentions some form of patience. Uh, James is not the only one who believed patience was a very serious topic. Think about the Apostle Paul as he mentioned patience. In 1 Corinthians 13, how does he mention the words patience? Well, how does he use that word in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians? Love. Love is patient. We've heard that many, many times. Uh, In the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Let's name them. Love, joy, peace, patience is mentioned there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when Paul is in prison, he writes to the Ephesians and says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul mentions patience several more times in his writings. Uh, It's clearly a very important topic to these apostles. Patience is an important quality. First of all, we need to have patience when we face difficulty. When we face difficulty. Let's look at the idea behind the word long-suffering. In a Vines dictionary, it describes it this way. Long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of trouble which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. Think about that. This aspect of patience is the ability to suffer for a long time, maybe under the mistreatment of others, without growing resentful or bitter. Think about that thought. This word easily fits into what James is talking about. If you look back up into chapter 5, what he's talking about just before we get here, he's talking about this group of people who have placed their treasures and riches and things of this earth. And he talks about their self-indulgence and their suffering because of it. And then he stops and says, Be patient until the Lord comes. We're going to face a lot of difficulty in our lives. It's going to happen. Some of you may have been fortunate to this point, and you have not faced that much difficulty. But in the future, it's coming. Those may face the loss of loved ones, financial insecurity, uh, physical injury, struggles with your own health, you're going to face difficulty, but it's important to remain steadfast, to remain patient until the Lord comes, as he says in this this verse 7. We cannot retaliate with blame towards God, 
that's, that's losing our patience. When things start to happen in our lives and we retaliate by blaming God for the things that are happening in our lives, uh, that is something that we cannot do. We instead must be patient and wait for God's timing. Second, we need to be patient when we face disappointment. When you get down and stressed, what is a natural response for you? Think about that. What is your natural response when you get down, when you're stressed, maybe you're dealing with some depression? Um, For a lot of us, our natural response is to complain to whoever we can find. Okay? The first person we see, that's who we're going to complain to. Have you ever felt like you just got blown up for no apparent reason? Like you just stepped into a ticking time bomb, maybe. Um, Sometimes things start to happen in our lives, and we don't like the way things are going, and we this buildup of stress and frustration, and then we just let it all out on whoever we can find. Sometimes it's our spouse, sometimes it's our boss, or our co-workers, or our best friends, or sometimes it's a stranger in the parking lot, uh, or in front of us in line. Uh, But it's kind of a natural response when we get a buildup of frustration uh, and, and doubt and misunderstanding. It's kind of natural for us to just want to take that out somewhere. Uh, sometimes we just lash out at people because the pressure is just built up too much. Now look at, look at verse 9. I want you to look at what James says here. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, the New American Standard Version says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another. If you go back up, you'll see that James talks about the patience of a farmer. One thing I've learned through the years is that farmers have each other's backs. Okay? You don't mess with a farmer unless you want to mess with all the farmers. Uh, I've, I've learned that through the years. I've seen that through the years, that, that farmers are always looking for ways to help each other out. And I think James has this exact thought in his mind when he writes this verse. When pressures mount and things aren't going the way you want them to go, or maybe the solution to the problem that you think it is is not the solution that you're getting, you can't take it out on your brothers and sisters. It's, it's kind of natural. Uh, these, these times bring the temptation to divide Uh, to blame others for what's going on in your life. But we cannot compare ourselves to our brothers and sisters. Maybe you've lost your job, but your friend just got a promotion. Or your health is failing, but your friend hasn't been sick his whole life. Easy to get upset at that person and and to to wonder, why haven't they had the same troubles that I've had? But we can't be people who look to others and divide. We have to be people who unite, who bring together, especially when things aren't going the way we want them to. As we get on into verses 10 and 11, James shifts our focus back to the Old Testament prophets, and he especially mentions Job. All right, here's a conversation we can have. What do you know about Job? What happened to Job? He lost everything. What are some of the things that Job lost? His family. What else? 
His health. His health. He lost his health. What else? His possessions. All his possessions. What were some of those possessions? His sheep, oxen, all his animals. Uh, what about his servants? He lost them. He lost his home. Job lost everything. Now, this may be a little bit tougher of a question to answer. Did Job suffer because he was doing right or because he was doing wrong? Okay. Job suffered because he was doing right. Remember, Satan came to God and had this conversation. The reason he's so righteous is because nothing bad's ever happened to that guy. Give, give me a chance to tempt him. Give me a chance to bring some, some tough times into his life. Now, have you ever stopped and thought in tough times that you were struggling because things were going right? That's probably not a thought that's ever crossed your mind. But clearly, that was something that happened with Job. Job was suffering because he had a great relationship with God. Job never responded to this difficult situation by hating God. He never responded in a negative way. Now, he did complain, uh, and he moaned, and he groaned, and he struggled, but he kept a good relationship with God. And in the end, he realized that God had a purpose for his suffering. Look at verse 11 again. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Just like Job, you're going to face some difficult situations in your life. Um, just like Job, things are not always going to go your way. And you have to decide how you're going to it's easy when those things happen and all that pressure starts coming down on you to rush towards God, to blame God, uh, to take it out on your friends, your family, your co-workers. But my challenge to you tonight is to, to slow down. Don't rush straight to those, uh, to those uh, blame, to that blame. Don't rush straight to throwing that all off on someone else, I'm challenging you tonight to be patient. And while it feels like you're never going to get out of it, wait on God to respond. God will respond. But you may be suffering, or struggling, just to prove to others that God's people can suffer and remain steadfast. God's people can struggle still have a relationship with Him, and in those situations, glory is brought to Him. So when everyone else around you is looking at you because you're struggling, they're going to be looking to see how you respond. And my challenge is to be patient, to wait for God. Remember what James says in verse 7, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. If you have no more hope, have hope in the fact that your struggle, that your long-suffering will not last forever. That the Lord is coming. Whatever you're going through, let's get through it together. 
as a church family, we have to rise up. We can't divide. We have to rise up around each other. Tonight, if you're in need of encouragement, we want to do that. And if you're ready to commit your life to a deeper relationship with Jesus, to live the rest of your life in full communion with Him, you can do that tonight through baptism. So let's do that together as we stand and sing. Jesus, fall up tenderly upon your ear, sweet and